Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming. How about a shave? I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2007 musical slasher, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Happy spooky season, little onions! Not only is it spooky, but it's thrilling. We're in our wheelhouse, it's a musical, and we're gonna get manic with it. <laughs> Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Maybe not for long. <laughs> you can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. And that's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's this spooky season. Rate, review, and retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Maybe Ross will mind the Twitter. <laughs> God. That would really be spooky. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary. But Ross, tell them about the Patreon. Guys, did you know that there's actually never been a spookier time to give us your money? For just five shillings a month, you can... <laughs> five shillings. Five shillings. For five dollars a month, you can get access to all of our bonus content over on our Patreon. We're doing all of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. We did 50 bajillion episodes of Netflix's Haunting of Hill House and HBO's John Adams. Every single minute of content, it's all waiting there for you. As soon as you sign up, you get everything we've ever put out. It's two guaranteed posts a month. It's like a thousand plus minutes of guaranteed content. I know. If you sign up right now. You little commuters and office workers. <laughs> yeah, guys, tell your friends about it. And if you want access to our catalog of main feed goodness, did you know you can get a custom RSS link and play in any player of your choosing as well? I did, actually. Did you know that? I did. Ooh, spooky podcast. <laughs> oh, it's Sondheim. <laughs> oh, is it Sondheim? Yeah, so some of you might want to take a stretch and then get your favorite beverage. Our first Sondheim. Is it? Not that there's a lot of Sondheim movies out there. There's like this and West Side Story and Into the Woods and Into the Woods but the rest of them I don't know if they've been adapted into films so <laughs> well let's get to it oh my goodness everybody take a deep breath this is the tale of an ordinary man who had everything Barker's name was Benjamin Barker until a man of power stole his freedom destroyed his family and banished him. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. For life. And in his sorrow, a new man was born. Fifteen years dreaming, I might come home to a wife and child. Benjamin Parker. Not Barker. Sweeney Todd now. And he will have his revenge. Who's my wife? She's gone. And he's got your daughter. Judge Tuffin. you got to leave this all behind you now. No. These are desperate times. Desperate measures are called for. All right. You, sir! No one's in the chair. Come on. Come on. Sweeney's waiting. I want you, pleaders. You, sir. Two, sir. Welcome to the grave. I will have vengeance. Guarantee the closest shave you will ever know. May the good Lord smile on you. You're poking mad. The years, no doubt, have changed me.
That's all very well. But what are we going to do about him? Oh, the 2007 adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's 1979 stage musical. Adapted from Christopher Bond's 1973 play, adapted from the 1850s Penny Dreadfuls. Yeah, this story has a long history. It's uh, it's almost 200 years old. Yeah. Almost. Just do, shy. Do you remember when we went on that walking tour of London and we passed by the alleyway? Yeah, and they were like, this is where the Sweeney Todd shit went down. I was like, that's funny. It's just a story. But like, <laughs> I love that they snuck that in there. Like, this is where the pie shop's supposed to be. And I'm like... Okay. Or the barber shop, at least. I don't think there was a pie element in the early versions of the... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Stephen Sondheim, one of the greatest composers of all time. He's a fucking genius, guys. The Lin-Manuel Miranda of his time. It's kind of frustrating how good he is. And I love that Lin and Steve kind of became besties there at the end of his life. Yeah, before he died, rest in peace. I know. And Sondheim, what a queen. Oh my god. Am I right? One of the gayest men you'll ever meet in your life. And he's insane. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Oh like, my god. He's actually a very nice man. He's a little pretentious, but you kind of have to be if you're going to write insane, you know, pieces <laughs> of music like this. So, um, Stephen Sondheim saw Christopher Bond's 1973 play at National Theater. Ooh. I know. And the 1973 play by Christopher Bond is adapted, of course, from those penny dreadful stories from the 1840s and the 1850s. First published in something called The String of Pearls, which was a variety magazine. Like an anthology, kind of? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, String of Pearls, The Sailor's Gift, 1850. So this is where the Sweeney Todd character first appears. But without all the backstory, Ah. Sweeney Todd is quite literally just this murderous barber who lives in (laughs) London and... (sighs) It's to scare you, right? It's a it's a thrill, right? You can tell the original author of this Penny Dreadful was just like chilling in a barber chair one day, getting his face shaven, and he goes, wow, it would be super easy for this guy to murder me right now. Yeah. <laughs> Those intrusive thoughts in the barber chair. And in the 1970s play, it's Christopher Bond that gives all the psychological backstory mm. and motives for Sweeney Todd's crimes. He makes it Greek. I know. To and be quite honest. Like, Sondheim saw the show at Theatre Royal at Stratford and, like, he thought that Bond's rendition was just, like, very sophisticated. He said it had weight mm. because Bond wrote certain characters in blank verse mm. Mm. and, like, it was just kind of like he he likens it to like this jacobite tragedy like count of monte cristo or yep. and stuff like that i wrote that later in my notes um sondheim had this to say in uh, adding music to it what i did to chris's play is more than enhance it i had a feeling it would be a new animal The effect it had at Stratford East in London and the effect it had at the Eurus Theatre in New York are two entirely different effects, even though it's the same play. It was essentially charming over there because they don't take Sweeney Todd too seriously. (laughs) Our production was larger in scope. Hal Prince gave it an epic sense, a sense that this was a man of some size instead of just a nutcase. The music helps give this story dimension. And I'm like, Steve? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Very much so. He clearly understood how good he was. And, like, obviously you have to then marinate your head 
in every inch of this man's play mm-hmm. in order to give it the body it deserves. And God did he. God, God did he body it. Uh, God did he body. <laughs> God did he body. Anyway. <laughs> and so in 1979 opens the Broadway musical Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, starring Len Carreyou. And Angela Lansbury. This is Potts, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. Baking people into pies. <laughs> and like, you know, you and I did some homework before we decided to record this. We watched the 1982 North American tour. But in this version, we've removed Len Carreyou and replaced him with George Hearn, who is our favorite Sweeney. Hashtag my Sweeney. And like, you know, God love every other man that's uh, played Sweeney Todd well. All right, Josh Groban. Anyway. Hey. I'm sorry. It is being revived right now on Broadway with <laughs> Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford. But <laughs> I love her. She's a great entertainer, but she can't do accents. Anyway. <laughs> and Gaetan Matarazzo. Yeah. He's Toby. From Stranger from Things. From the Stranger Things. He's dusty, but turn around. <laughs> It's Dusty Bun. He was Gavroche in the revival of Les Mis. Yeah, he I was. love him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting. I'm getting off track. No, but George Hearn. George Hearn. It just. Uh, there's a like we said in the Patreon episode when we talked about this song because we talked about our favorite adaptations of certain stage numbers mm-hmm, back in yeah back for my last Patreon coverage for for September. And I picked the Ballad of Sweeney Todd for mine. Mm-hmm. So we're probably not going to talk too much about the opening number here because we really want you to go listen to that episode yeah, on go Patreon. Listen, yeah, go listen to that on Patreon. Um, but anyway, we talked about how George Hearn has this fortified grit in his, not only his singing voice, but in his acting presence. Yeah. He's a baritone. He's got a pair of eyes that could bowl you down from the other end of the street. He is Sweeney when you make him up. Oh my God. And the th- Len Carreyou, valiant effort, but he just doesn't have that body. He doesn't have that energy mm-hmm. that you would really like to see from this character, and George Hearn just does. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. He served a dark and a vengeful God. What happened then? Well, that's the play, and he wouldn't want us to give it away. Not Sweeney. Not Sweeney Todd. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Stephen Sondheim finally, finally lets his walls down in around 2006 when Tim Burton's like, hey, saw this for the first time in 1980 mm-hmm. and it's stayed with me since. Oh, yeah. I would really. <laughs> yeah. The way I'm nodding my head, you can tell that this was like a canon moment for Tim Burton. It, Tim Burton literally was saying how he like wasn't really into the musical genre. And I'm like, what the fuck is a nightmare before Christmas then, Tim? <laughs> came out years after the fact. You also just did Corpse Bride the year before. Anyway, anyway. but he, hadn't, he saw the play in like 1980. Well, Sondheim's intimidating. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not only does he have to put his Tim Burton creepy spin on it, but he has to maintain the integrity of the score mm-hmm. and make that work well for him. And he did. 
Yeah. I think he did. I do too. Because as much as I don't want to like this movie as an adaptation, I just do. Yeah. I'll never forget when it was coming out. You were losing your goddamn mind. I was. And I had developed this tendency ever since about 2004 on to take on as an interest whatever Carrie Ann had taken on as an interest. I and do have good taste. That's all I'm saying. I think we went to the theater to see it. Mm-hmm. And I remember being disturbed. Mm-hmm. Like, I was... 11. Yeah. And that's a little young for this kind of story. And, but like, it's just like, you were so emo. You were a freshman and like, you were a freshman in high school and you were just, you were really into the two of these, like, I know, crazy fucking actors. And every emo, every goth, we were all into Tim Burton. You had pictures of them and like, I did, I did. You listened to that shit all the time. And I just, I think fondly, I think back fondly about how into this you were when it came out. And this was also a big year for movies, mm-hmm. like also musicals, like Hairspray. Hairspray came out in 2007. It made over $100 million. Mm-hmm. It made $103 million. And guys, this is DreamWorks and Warner Brothers. Yeah. So two big baddies bolstering a lot of different baddies. So it was going to be quality. Score remastered for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Sondheim was involved in an advisory, you know, type of thing. I should hope so. I, yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do this without, you know, adding Uncle Steven to the board. Exactly. And folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Holy shit. As Sweeney Todd, the demon Barbara of Fleet Street, or Benjamin Barker, mm-hmm. if you will, we have, please welcome him back, Johnny Depp. <laughs> Hi. I know. Hi, Johnny. Uh, What's up? uh, You're with us when we did What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And and Corpse Bride. And Corpse Bride, another Tim Burton vehicle. And you were here. (laughs) Yeah. You've been here. Yeah. uh, See previous episodes for Johnny Depp talk. (laughs) Um... Uh, yeah, um, we'll talk more about him later. Edward Scissorhands. Legis- he was with us when we did Legends of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, I forgot about that. He's Captain Jack Sparrow, of course, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Finding Neverland and Chocolat. Oh, not Chocolat. Also, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Which I'd like that movie, but I get why no one else <laughs> does. You know what I mean? Oh, he's the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland. Depp is all over your film viewing lexicon. Fucking Grindelwald. Suck my dick. <laughs> anyway. And not in the good way. Carrie. Uh-huh. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? Is it HBC po- supremacy? Poor HBC supremacy! <laughs> ah, we love Helena Bottom Carter on this podcast. Please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming as Mrs. Nellie Lovett. I forgot she had a first name. It's Nellie. It's yeah. Nellie, yeah. Because she's been with us before in... Big Fish. Obviously, she was in Corpse Bride. She was with us um, when we did The King's Speech. She's Queen Elizabeth in The King's Speech. Mm -hmm. She's been with us a couple of other times, I feel like. She's obviously Bellatrix Lestrange from the Harry Potter saga. Uh Uh-huh. Go ahead. Mention The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. You do every time. We we should have done that this Halloween. (laughs) Like Wallace and Gromit and The Curse of the Were-Rabbit? When I think about Wallace and Gromit... (laughs) I think it's a it's a fever dream I had or a nightmare I had, and then I see pictures of them and I'm like, they look so cute, but why are they so unnerving? Like <laughs> crackers, Gromit. I just the thing with the cheese. I don't know why <laughs> that perturbed me as a child. I don't know why I found that so uncomfy. 
Portraying the incredibly rapey Judge Turpin, we have Alan Rickman. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. He was with us when we covered Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. He's obviously Professor Severus Snape from the Harry Potter saga. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those movies for me that is like, introduced me to the British acting cult. Everyone is with everybody in everything, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know how many Harry Potter actors we've got in this? Like, <laughs> so many! I know. Love Actually. He's also in Alice in fucking Wonderland. He's Absalom. Is he really? Yeah, you'll know him from BBC's Shakespeare series. He did all the Shakespeare's, dude. Oh my god. I know. Portraying Beetle Bamford, Turpin's personal bailiff, we have... Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming, Sir Timothy Spall. Mm. I said sir. He's not a knight, but oh, I th- really? he is in my heart. He's, <laughs> he's, of course, Peter Pettigrew from the uh, Harry Potter saga. Harry Potter saga was in the King's Speech with Helena Bonham Carter. He yep. was Winston fucking Churchill. <laughs> uh, not to mention he was with us. We did Chicken Run. He's one of those rats. I forgot. I know. I know. Timothy Spall sings. Alan Rickman sings? Yeah, for real. What is going on? Guys, portraying miracle tonsorialist Aldolfo Pirelli, Italian wonder, (laughs) we have Mr. Sasha Baron Cohen. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. He was with us when we covered Les Miserables. That was last Christmas. Monsieur Ternardier with Helena Bottom-Carter. Sorry, I knew there was one I was forgetting. (laughs) Because she's fucking Madame Ternardier in that. God. Fashalavet then. Fashalavet. I'm so sorry, France. <laughs> I love that. I listen to that. That's the one part of that episode I listen to over and over again. Me apologizing to France. <laughs> Guys, it's Sasha Baron Cohen. I don't have time. Bruno. Borat. <laughs> Silly guy in films. <laughs> Where did he come from? I don't know. <laughs> also, Trial of Chicago 7. Oh, yeah. He's Abby, he's Abby Hoffman. That's that. right. I know. I still need to see that movie. It's a Sorkin. Portraying Anthony Hope, we have Jamie Campbell Bauer. Also Grindelwald. Yeah. <laughs> from the, the Harry Potter saga. From the actual Harry Potter saga. God, drink every time we bring up an actor from the Harry Potter saga. Guys, he's Vecna from Stranger Things. Yeah. The fact that he can actually talk like that, that's not an altered voice. Oh my God. He can actually do that voice. And then he's in this as such a baby. He's literally 19 <laughs> in this movie. God love him. And he's singing. And I'm like, Aww. he's so baby. He is. He's so cute. But like, ugh. Strongest Anthony we could have gotten. All right. He's Anthony Hope, a sailor who acquaints with the title character. Um, He's also one of them evil vampires from the Twilights. I believe you. He's Caius. He's one of the Volturi. Okay. Or whatever they're called. Portraying the beggar woman, we have Laura Michelle Kelly. Mm. Laura Michelle Kelly originated the role of Mary Poppins on stage (gasps) when they turned it into a Broadway musical. She was the first Mary Poppins on stage. Really? Original Broadway cast. She was also in the original Broadway cast of Finding Neverland. <gasps> Sylvia Llewellyn Davies. Yes. Wow. I know. Big on the stage, Laura Michelle Kelly, especially on the West End. Um, portraying Joanna, we have Jane Wisner. Jane Wisner, oh, she's from Ireland. Oh. She's Irish. Good lover. She's from, well, she's from Northern Ireland. Some more dairy, you know. <laughs> Got yourself on. Got yourself on. <laughs> She's from Ballymoney. It's like from here to Bally Buffet. Oh, I'm sure he'd be knackered. Macal is knackered. Macal, Kamal, pardon me. <laughs> I'm sorry, your dairy got me. 
And sorry, Jane, your Joanna is reduced, and I'm sorry about that. They cut a lot of you for time. They but did. you do it so well. Yeah. And you do it nicely. Yeah. And we'll explain. <laughs> and then portraying Tobias Rag. Oh, his last name's Rag? R-A-G-G. That's appropriate. Yeah, no, it's uh, Toby, little Toby. We have Ed Sanders, who has all but disappeared yeah. from film and television. I think he does something different now. He's more of a record producer now, I guess. All right. But he also does Toby so much better than they do him in the show. Like, <laughs> Thank often. you for casting a child, Tim. <laughs> Thank you very much. We very much appreciate that. I hate it when they stick a full-grown male tenor in this role. It's creepy. He's also in that Martin Scorsese film, Hugo. Oh, oh! From 2011, yeah. Oh, okay. I know. All right, folks, we absolutely must start the content or Carrie and simply going to slip my throat. Stop. I'm kidding. I never, I would never. I know. <laughs> I'm aware of that. I know, I just never want my on-air frustration to come across as hostile. All right, guys. Usually when we start out the show... We have that nice organ prelude, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have the Ballad of Sweeney Todd sung by our little Greek chorus, the denizens of uh, Fleet Street in London. But for the film, we take that out. We take the whole idea of the Greek chorus out altogether mm-hmm. because these orchestrations of these songs that appear throughout the musical into a couple nice, long rearranged, remastered ones is so effective for the film. Yeah, it's good for a film. I feel like almost, especially with the intensity of emotion that you go through through the show, a Greek chorus in a film would almost break the veneer. It's distracting. It would stop the film dead. Like, Yeah, it would. So I get that decision. But when the DreamWorks logo comes up, that prelude organ is everything. I'm descending. <laughs> I'm descending into hell. I'm going to hell. Like, <laughs> God. Tim Burton, this is your wheelhouse. This opening sequence is very cool, but very badly animated. Oh, God. I talked about this on the Patreon episode. The blood it is... It looks like paint. It does. And, like, very badly animated paint, too. <laughs> it's dripping like slime time. It's okay. I'm fine with the fact that they didn't throw a whole lot of money at this part given how good the rest of it looks. I do love because obviously we go on this little journey through the whole what happens to you when you're a victim of Sweeney Todd through all these long shots. The the, the blood sizzling out of the pies in the oven. Oh jeez. And like with all of the strings I'm like I'm afraid. <laughs> We've arrived at our second musical number, No Place Like London. Welcome to London, 1846. It's gray. The ship Bountiful is sailing up the River Thames, and it carries Anthony Hope and Sweeney Todd. Like I said, Jamie Cablebauer, you're so baby, and your singing is, I'm sorry, it's nice. It just could have been better. No, no, I think it's fine. I have sailed the world, beheld its wonders From the Dardanelles to the mountains of Peru But there's no place like London No, there's no place like London
Anthony is that. He's very baby. He's he's already been all over the world. He's a sailor, but now he's returning to his hometown of London. He's excited to see London, and Todd is terribly not excited to see London. <laughs> So, guys, the thing that they don't really get a lot into is that Anthony has actually saved Sweeney Todd's life. Yeah, that's like a throwaway line. It Like, he found him in a shipwreck in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Picked his ass up. Yeah, and so, like, that white streak in his hair. Mm-hmm. Like, the pale, sallow skin, the eyes. The heavy, purple, underlined eyes. And Johnny Depp does give, I feel, enough gravity to the character. Mm-hmm. He's just very muted. And I there's a thing about Sweeney Todd that I like him being, like in the stage version, I like that he's a little bit more animated. Mm-hmm. You know, just a little bit. But like, I think, I think Johnny Depp is enough. It's just Johnny Depp. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, and his vocal performance is also... Not the best, but it's a it's still effective. Like I feel like Tim said, "Well, I want to use Johnny." Yeah, and everybody was like, "You sure? Does Johnny sing?" Like, yeah, does can Johnny sing? <laughs> and he was like, "Well, let's find out." And they did. Todd is very severe. Like as they sail under Tower Bridge, he's absolutely stealing away Anthony's good vibe. Oh no, he might have been a normal person once. But this is a man who's been broken by his circumstances, and the man we see here runs purely on smog-filled London air and revenge. At the top of the hole sit a privileged few, making mock of the vermin in the lower zoo, turning beauty into filth and greed. I, too, have sailed the world and seen its wonders. For the cruelty of men is as wondrous as Peru. But there's no place like London. For fans of the show, this must have been either really great or really not. But I don't see how it could be the latter. It's like it very much captures the dismal, austere spirit of what London would be in this time. A very dark and dirty place riddled with rampant poverty and the supremacy of the aristocracy. Yeah. And they're getting off Bountiful on the Thames right in the city of London, right there in the middle because Fleet Street as you know, is just about a few blocks north of there. I bet it smells like fish. Yeah. (laughs) And this is where we go into the barber and his wife because Anthony's like, hold on, hold on. What's your deal, man? Like, Mm -hmm. what's your story? When he lived in London originally, he was a young barber. He had a young wife named Lucy. They had a pretty little girl named Joanna. An infant, mind you. She was a baby. And everything was going fine until a creepy old man came along and ruined everything. If you know anything about Western societies, the law can do whatever it wants and has always been able to do whatever it wants. And this is where we have Judge Turpin. He's a jurist. I'm using quotation marks. With his little sidekick, Beetle Bamford. And guys, the concept of Beetle's... They were civil officers endowed with authority by institutions of power. He's a cop. He's a neighborhood watch guy is what he is. Yeah. He's a glorified neighborhood watch guy who gets to live in the manor and suck the judge's dick. (laughs) Stop. I'm sorry. That's how he be acting. I know. Judge Turpin catches the eye of one Lucy Barker, Benjamin Barker's wife. There was another man who saw that she was beautiful. A pious vulture of the law Who with a gesture of his claw Removed the barber from his plate Then there was nothing but to wait And she would fall So soft, so young, so lost and oh so beautiful 
and say, she's pretty. I want that. Oh, no. Yeah, that, because he's a dehumanizer. And And so he arrests Benjamin Barker on false charges and has him taken from his family. Because he's a predator. Yeah. Because Judge Turpin is a predator. Yeah. Anthony's like, I'm sorry, I know that was sad, but I have something I have to do and I have to go do it alone. So (laughs) farewell, Anthony. Hopefully we'll meet again. We make for Fleet Street, right? This is where he and Lucy used to live. And he finds in his old home, occupying it, is Mrs. Lovett's meat pies. Yeah, they used to live on like the second level, mm-hmm. but now Mrs. Lovett has moved in downstairs. And this is taking us into the worst pies in London. It is a ghost town in this pie shop. Everything is dirty. There's not a single light on. She doesn't clean well. No, and she looks up and she sees a warm body standing <gasps> in her doorway. A customer. <laughs> What's your rush? What's your hurry? You gave me such a fright. I thought you was a ghost. <laughs> Half a minute, can't you sit? Sit you down, sit. All I meant is I haven't seen a customer for weeks. Remember when you derailed I the know. Page Master recording with that reference? Mrs. Nellie Lovett, widowed from Albert, she makes really bad pies and she knows it. Times is hard. These are probably the worst pies in London. I know why nobody cares to take them. I should know I make them. Even that's polite, the worst boys in London. If you daddy take a bite. How bad she is at making meat pies, which are an English staple. I know. You know, I like, actually like to have one proper. If you doubt it, take a bite. Uh, Isn't that just disgusting? <laughs> she's always, she's so bad at it that she's getting squeezed out of the market by this woman nearby who owns her own pie shop, Mrs. Mooney. Yeah. She, you know, stretches her meat pies by killing cats and putting cats in the meat pies. That's so London 1846, I can't stand it. What is this, Dickens? <laughs> like, she's not Angela Lansbury, but she does a really really great job at capturing Mrs. Lovett because one comment we had when watching the tour was that Angela Lansbury looks like she's on cocaine the whole time. (laughs) God love her. You were like, that's just annoying. And I went, that's coke. Oh, no. Because she's singing in a Cockney accent. And it's just not a pleasant noise. And gyrating around like the crazy character she is, but... It's just not a pleasant noise. See, my fair lady. HBC's Love It is a little bit more muted and a little bit more reasonable. Mm -hmm. But that, I think, translates so well to where her character goes goes like where she ends up in this narrative so watching her make the pies is revolting she's literally smashing bugs on the table with the rolling pin roaches the size of silver dollars times is hard times is hard i wrote hbc is the queen of insane Her look is so insane. She looks like an actual Tim Burton puppet. She does. She does. It's like we could have plucked her and Johnny right out of any stop motion Tim Burton. Like, she takes him to the parlor for some gin. She's very accommodating, Mrs. Lovett is. Mm-hmm. And he starts asking about the space over the shop. He says, if times are so hard, you should rent out that room. He's playing it coy. He's not telling her that he used to live there. Like, why don't you rent it out? And she goes, people think it's haunted. I can't get anybody to. Everyone <laughs> thinks it's fucking haunted. Like, And this will lead us into poor thing, correct? Yes. She sits him down and starts telling him about the barber who used to live upstairs and had his family take from him. There was a barber and his wife, and he was beautiful. 
a proper artist with a knife but they transported him for life and he was beautiful Barker his name was Benjamin Barker what was his crime? foolishness I'm immediately alarmed how she knows his story back to front yep that should have it's, been it's, the first it, red flag. It's the biggest, waviest red flag, but whatever. And, like, he's obviously changed his name, right? Mm-hmm. Very Les Mis, very Count of Monte Cristo. You know, Lucy Barker is basically taken out of her house one night to come to a party at Judge Turpin's house. He's having a masquerade ball. This is after Benjamin's already been taken away. And... Oh, trigger warning. Yeah, guys, T.W., um, Lucy Parker is raped by Judge Turpin in front of all the party guests. Yeah, no, this is so awful. He waits till she gets, like, one glass of champagne in her, and just when she's wobbly, assaults her in front of everyone. No one does anything. Would no one have mercy on her? So is you. Benjamin Parker. Where is Lucy? Where's my wife? She poisons herself. Arsenic from the apothecary around the corner. I tried to stop her, but she wouldn't listen to me. And he's got your daughter. Who adopted the child of the woman he raped? He thought he was going to get his family back when he showed up in London, right? He's been gone for 15 years. He thought he was going to come home to a wife and child and make all kinds of apologies for missing their lives. And now the man who was basically responsible for his wife's death has taken his child. Lovett takes him up to the room over the shop, and there's not much there. Ugh, the doll in the pram? Yeah, that's not it's okay. It's so disconcerting. And she lifts up the floorboard and produces for him his old set of straight razors he used when he was a barber. She hid them from the beetle when they came for the baby. This leads us into my friends. These razors are gorgeous props. I wonder what one of these goes for online. This is a gorgeous song. Yeah, because the thing is, is that my friends, it's it's almost like Todd comes back to Fleet Street and he sees these razors and it's like he's seeing the only family he has left. It was his livelihood. Speak to me, friend. Whisper. I'll listen. I know you've been locked out of sight all these years like me, my friend. Well, I've come home to find you waiting. And like he's commenting on how beautiful they are, talking directly to them, personifying them. Whisper. I'll listen. Yeah. He now has the tool to exact his revenge. He's turning something that was very core to him into something that will, I guess, be very core to him again. But mm, but it's like a bastardization of it. completely different reason. The, the way she is fawning oh, over yeah. him the whole time. She's circling him while he's singing. She's almost enraptured herself by what he's feeling holding these razors again. And this is the first great example in the show of how wonderfully 
Sondheim writes duets. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They are experiencing, Todd and Lovett, two completely different emotions. And you're still getting the full brunt of each of them. And they line up almost perfectly. Never you drip rubies precious rubies that might be my favorite lyric in the whole show it's a good image god damn you sondheim sondheim you're just chef's kiss and this is where the folia do begins oh no yeah oh no (laughs) no not joker harley quinn vibes they will spend the rest of this movie creating chaos together feeding into each other's pathologies and making everyone's lives worse. When the music is swelling and he's like, get out. Oh yeah. And she's like, fine. And then hold it. And then he holds the razor out. At last, my arm is complete again. The ballad music is just so exquisite, but this takes us into <laughs> Green Finch and Linnet Bird. I have Christ, not Green Finch and Linnet Bird. Go ahead. In the tour version we watch of the show, I don't know the actress's name. It's not Sarah Rice. Sarah Rice is the OBC, and this is definitely not Sarah Rice I'm talking about. But whoever you are, Sue something with a C, I know that's your name. That was too much. Oh, no. I, I need to seek damages against this woman. I, and you know what? Not to hurt you guys, can you give them a little bit of it? Okay. Just to, just to compare how bad it is. It's going to be an assault on your eardrums. Green finch and linnet bird, nightingale, blackbird, how is it you sing? How can you jubilate sitting in cages, never taking wind? And is that bad? No, she's actually being quite impressive. She's it's, doing it the way it's written. It's just too much, Stephen. She's supposed to sound like a warbling bird, and it's really not fitting in my ear. And Jane Wisner's version is my favorite, because it's shorter, it's sweeter, and she's singing at a normal decibel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, and she's not warbling. This is Joanna. Joanna is very sad. She's yeah. a prisoner of her rapey guardian, Judge Turpin. No wonder she keeps birds in cages. And like, yeah. Must be nice to have birds of a feather fly together. And because, of course, the whole point of the song is she is very much like a bird in a cage. Like, and how she's how are you still singing when you cannot fly? How am I still singing yeah. when I cannot fly? And this is, of course, where we have the Anthony Joanna meet cute because he's sitting on a bench looking at a map in the street and he can hear her singing. From her window. Mm-hmm. And of course, falls instantly in love with her. Green finch and linnet bird, nightingale, blackbird, how is it you sing? How can you jubilate sitting in cages, never taking wings? Outside the sky, waves, back of me, back of me, just beyond the bar. 
also, just to mention, the peephole. Okay. The peephole. This fucking rapist drilled in the wall to look at her whenever he wants. I know. This poor person. I know. Poor Joanna, because I know she suffered abuse. Yeah. I know she has, and it makes, it fills me with sickness. And it's no wonder that she looks down at Anthony and goes, oh, a boy my age. Uh, How refreshing. And Anthony notices that she does seem kind of trapped, and here we have the alms. Okay, this takes us into alms, alms, and this is the beginning of me being eeked. I know. (laughs) Laura Michelle Kelly does this beautifully. This is the beggar woman, right? She comes up to Anthony with her head down on the street asking for money. Because that's alms, right? Alms, alms for the poor. Yeah, yes. And so Anthony gives her a tuppence and asks her, who lives in this big manor? And the way her eyes get real big and she's like, that's Judge Turpin's house and you better not fuck around because you'll find out. Yeah. I promise you you'll find out. She does warn him. So don't you go trespassing there. Who's a good weapon for you? Or any other young man with mischief on his mind. And also, I remember the first time that we would watch this at home. Mm-hmm. Like when we got like the DVD, mm-hmm. the DVD, and I remember you telling me to look at her mouth. Oh God! And all of the sores around her mouth. I was like, "What's wrong with her? Why is she like that?" Because I'm a kid, I don't understand. They're like, and you're like, "Her, it's herpetic sores." She, and you're like, "Do you know what herpes is?" And I was like, "Yeah, we just learned about STDs in school." And she's like, "She's a sex worker, and she doesn't have health care. Yeah, so that's why Aww. it is quite literally London, 1846." And this takes us into Joanna. Okay. And I hate this song kind of. And I do kind of also hate it because it's like, how can we just we don't know each other. Yeah. It's a pretty girl and that's why you feel like you're in love with her, Anthony. Like uh-huh. and but also I do like it when he's like, I feel you, Joanna. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like he's probably got some depression in his past too. So like, you know, birds of a feather, green and finch and linnet together. I don't know. <laughs> That was clever. I don't know. That was awful. <laughs> that meant nothing, what I just said. He says, I'll steal you. I'll I'll get you out of this fucked up sitch and I'll make you happier. I'll steal you, Joanna. I'll steal you. You've been watching her for five minutes. I'll steal you? He's got nothing else to do. Uh, you're, you're completely right, because we don't really know why he's back in London, probably just to not be at sea for a little bit. <laughs> Get your land legs back. And after he says, I steal you the last time, that door opens, and who's standing there but Judge Turpin? He just, he's seen him. He's seen him creeping outside the house. Because he saw her through the peephole looking at someone in the street. And so now he's going to scare the pants off of him. He invites him in to intimidate him. No one acts like Alan Rickman. Oh, God. You, you, you just, when he's like sitting him down in the library and pouring him gin, and he's like, hey, you know, I, I, I can see that you are, you know, you like pretty girls. So, like, here's I've, some porn. I've got books full of porn. Would you like to look at them? Mm. I think there's been some mistake. <laughs> he's like, no thanks, you creep. I have them all here. Drawings of everything you've ever dreamed of doing with a woman. Would you like to see? I think there's been some mistake. I think not. 
Uganda that my ward, Joanna, you gandered at her. Yes, sir, you gandered. I meant no harm. Your meaning is immaterial. And Turpin has Beetle Bamford throw Anthony out while beating the shit out of him for good measure <laughs> with his beetle stick or whatever it is. God. Now we are at St. Dustin's Outdoor Market. And, uh, Ooh. yeah, no, I got the name. Hey! Yeah. Todd and Lovett are here to do a little recon and to drum up a little advertising for Todd's return to Fleet Street. Gotta win some patronage, right? Because there's already a barber here in the market called Aldolfo Pirelli, supposed to be the best barber in London. He's shaved kings, he's shaved popes, anybody born with a silver spoon in their sphincter. (laughs) (laughs) And Todd is here to basically throw his razor around. When he sees Beetle Bamford in the square. Yeah, because that's another important part of this scheme. And he, like, he goes for the razor in a holster. (laughs) And Levitt's like, hey, not here in front of all these people. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) And so this takes us into Pirelli's Miracle Elixir, because there's this wagon set up, again, with all of the tapestries. Barber to the king of Naples. (laughs) (laughs) And this little boy comes out of Pirelli's wagon beating on this drum. This is Toby. He's the barker. He's the one who draws the crowd so Pirelli can show off. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Do you wake every morning in shame and despair to discover your pillow is covered with air? Or not to be there? Well, ladies and gentlemen, from now on you can wake and at ease. You need never again have a worry or care. I will show you a miracle, marvelous rare. I'm so glad to see Toby being played by an actual child. Thank you. Not a grown man in... Ugh, anyway. And Toby is trying to hype up Pirelli's, quote, miracle hair tonic. Guess who's not trying to hype it up? <laughs> Todd and Lovett. <laughs> Lovett is just casually going, mm. Are we standing near an open trench? <laughs> what is this? Smells like piss. Smells, Smells like, like, ooh. This, this is, is piss. Piss, piss with ink. <laughs> Wanna buy a bowl, Missy? What is this? Smells like piss. Smells like ooh. Looks All like piss. Oh, gentlemen, what you, dear? This is piss. Piss with ink. Pirelli's activate your roots, sir. Keep it off your boots, sir. Reach right through. Yes, girl. Pirelli's use a ball of it. Ladies, love it. Flies do, too. And Pirelli's inside the wagon can hear them talking shit. And here comes Sasha Bear Cohen, crotch first. The bulge on this <laughs> Italian. <laughs> the Fit. Oh, the fit is to die for, that, boys and girls. That purple suit? Yes. What's wrong? It's blue. No, it's purple. <laughs> it's blue. Fucking bitch, it's purple. <laughs> Those cones in the back of your eyes. I don't see the world way you do. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> That's why I was going to let that is go. Is it really blue? It is blue. Let honey. us know at Kick and Stream. <laughs> is Pirelli's suit blue or purple? Also, Sasha Baron Cohen, not the vocalist for Pirelli, but he plays the character... Too well. I think he's doing a fine job. Like, he's already eight feet tall with a glorious little mustache. But he's a huge tenor, Pirelli is. And (laughs) Sasha Baron Cohen is not, but like... (laughs) I'm Adolfo Pirelli, the king of the barbers, the barber of kings. Buongiorno, good day. I blow you a kiss. And I, the so famous Pirelli, I wish I don't know who has the nerve to say. My elixir is piss. Who says this? I do. 
Todd wagers five pounds that Pirelli is no match for him when it comes to a shave. And if he wins, he must admit that he and his elixir are a fraud. Mm-hmm. He even asks Beetle Bamford to be the judge of the competition. The fastest, smoothest shave is the winner. This brings us to the contest. I love this part where they both bring random men up there on the stage for a free shave, and Pirelli gets right to work. He sharpens his razor against that strap. He's scraping Toby's knuckles. I know. That poor boy. And he lathers the guy up and starts shaving. I get a big auditory ick from listening to that razor scrape against the grain of the hair. To shave the face or even a part without it a smart required the heart not just a the flash it take a panache it take a the passion for the art this whole time, Pirelli is posturing while Todd is seemingly getting behind. Yeah, he's taking his sweet time, sharpening the razors. And when Pirelli finally gets to the end and trills out that gigantic note at the end, oh no! in the space of five seconds, Todd gets his guy's face shaved. I actually timed it. It's three seconds flat. Line of the show, smooth as a baby's ass. <laughs> he take the pace. He take a dog. The winner is Todd. So Pirelli goes back to the wagon with his tail between his legs, no doubtedly about to take it out on poor Toby. Having given Todd the five pounds. And Todd got what he wanted, because as soon as Pirelli disappears, a random gentleman approaches him in the street and asks for his services. Ross, did you recognize the gentleman? Who is the gentleman? Anthony Stewart Heed. You know, the repo man? Jeffrey Howe from Iron Lady? Yes! I'm kidding. No, yeah, no. <laughs> Wow! Yeah. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Anthony Stewart Heed. He did Todd on West End. Did he really? That's why. That's exactly why. Oh, that's a fun little nod, Tim. Yeah, no wonder. Yeah, okay, like, why right. wasn't he Todd? I'm kidding. No. <laughs> He's a little old. It's Tim Burton. And the point, of course, is to drum up business for the shop, but it's also important that Beetle has seen this entire display because Todd is depending on the fact that Beetle will take word back to Turnip Turnip? Turnip, Judge, turnip! <laughs> he's turnip for the rest of the show. No. He's, he's turnip. God damn you, autocorrect. <laughs> he's hoping that Beetle will take the word back to Turpin so that Turpin will eventually show up in the shop. Not Joanna throwing Anthony a key from her window. Yeah, he th she throws this big ornate house key down to him so he can sneak in later. And again, he told him not to come back. He came back. He really cares. He does. Having heard her sing for five minutes. Meanwhile, it's been like 45 minutes since the shave off, and Todd's already up in the barbershop pissed that the beetle hasn't shown up yet. Todd is Randy for murder, and the beetle <laughs> hasn't shown. And Lovett is telling him, listen, you can calm down with the bloodlust. Don't get me wrong, I'm into it. Oh, God. I I'm into it. <laughs> but maybe we should focus on decorating for a second, you no, know? Oh, my. This is leading us into. Wait. It's like, you know, she's talking about setting up housekeeping in this barbershop. And all he's thinking about is revenge. Yeah, it's almost like she's annoyed that he won't think about nice things. She's telling him that the thrill will be even greater if he waits. Yeah. And I'm like, 
okay, I won't jack off for a week and then it'll be really great, you know? Stop. That's what she's saying. I know, but like, it's just, it's so awful. She's like, you're always brooding about stuff that happened years ago. Nelly, his family was taken from him. This line, it makes my bones chill. Don't you know, silly man, half the fun is to plan the plan. All good things come to those who can wait. She wants him to think about a future, not just killing these awful men. A future with her, more specifically. Anthony busts in the shop asking for help to spring Joanna from the clutches of Judge Turpin. Todd's about the only person he knows in London right now. (laughs) And Todd agrees to hide her for a time, seeing as how she's his actual daughter. Well, Anthony doesn't know that. Yeah, no. We're keeping that pretty close to the vest. And he's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Todd, for helping. And off he goes to make his grand plans because he wants to take Joanna to Plymouth, which is at the other end of England. (laughs) As far away as possible. Lovett says, just kill Anthony and take her back. That's the throat to slit, dear, she says. (laughs) She's like, if you need to get your rocks off, why don't you start with that guy? Since you're so hot for a little... (laughs) Yeah, and she makes the slicing (laughs) motion across her throat. There's also a lot of foot traffic at the barbershop this afternoon because guess who the fuck's showing up? (laughs) Pirelli and Toby are coming around the corner. And Todd tells Lovett to keep Toby downstairs while Pirelli's in the barbershop. So she takes Toby in for a meat pie while the grown-ups talk. And I do love that almost immediately when she gets him down there, she's commenting on his nice head of hair. Yeah. And he's like, it's awfully hot. To tell you the truth, it's awfully hot and whips that wand wig off his head. What does he share? I'm so glad it leaves. I'm so glad the wig is gone. (laughs) And this goes sideways pretty quickly upstairs because at first this looks like just a social call. Yes. Just one professional coming to visit another. And the moment he's in that door, he drops the Italian lilt. Mr. Todd, Signor Pirelli. Call me Davey. David Connor's the name when it's not professional. Alarm with five quid back if you don't mind. Why? Because you entered into our little wage under false pretenses, my friend. So that you might remember to be a bit more forthright in the future. I'll be taking half your profits from here with. Share and share alike. His name's Davy Collins, not Adolfo Pirelli. How many barbers in London are walking around under an assumed identity? Well, here's the thing. He remembers him as Benjamin Barker. He used to work for him as a kid, right? Yeah. And he's like, of course you wouldn't remember me. Proceeds to then blackmail him for half his earnings or else he will tell the law that he is Benjamin Barker. It is between a rock and a hard place. The look on Todd's face. Oh, yeah. Staring out the window. He's dissociating. And then the kettle whipping. Okay, yeah, that kettle starts boiling over on the stove. He picks that thing up and proceeds to bludgeon Pirelli with it. What do you say to that now? Mr. Sweeney Toad. now i remember blocking it off yeah or like fast forwarding through it as a child it's like that's not a quick way to go and downstairs toby remembers an appointment for 
Pirelli, who's now been knocked out by Todd upstairs. He goes rushing upstairs. There's no one in there with Todd. Somehow, Todd has already cleaned up the blood and dumped Pirelli in a trunk next to the door. Toby says, you know what? I'll just wait for him here. I shouldn't go anywhere. He'll be mad if he can't find me later. And sits down on the trunk. And this is a very famous image from every iteration of the Sweeney Todd tale, is the hand hanging out of the closed trunk. He didn't get all of them in there. Yeah. And, like, he's trying to shoot Toby out the door, and Toby's like, nope, 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 I should stay here. And he just, his eyes go to that hand. It's twitching. The way it twitches! And he's like, okay, go downstairs, have another pie on me, and tell Mrs. Lovett to give you a nice tot of gin. Yeah, let's And give the, the child's child. like, oh, thank you, sir! Because they used to give it to him when he lived in the workhouse to help him sleep. To help him sleep, oh, yeah. Oh, he's already an alcoholic, Ross. He's like 10. The actual murder of Pirelli directly after this is almost too visceral, but it's what the slasher fans want. Uh Uh-huh. And they actually edit it out in modern releases. They edit it. They literally just show him about to slit the throat and then him forcing his head back down into the trunk. You've got to be kidding me. This is what we came here exactly. for. Exactly. But Carrie, it is super uncomfortable and <laughs> super disturbing. Everybody in this movie's got high blood pressure. <sighs> the way it's spraying. And I love that In some productions of the musical, they don't use liquid. They use red ribbons. Yeah, yeah, The cleanup's a lot easier. Indeed, indeed. But come on, you gotta love the liquids, right? (laughs) Stop! Stop. After we briefly see Judge Turpin sentence a little boy to death for probably stealing food. Aww. Yeah, no. Beetle says, hey, listen, you should go get a shave from Todd because you look like you could be an even more tidy rapist. Oh, no. And, like... He's, they cut that whole number out. But like in the show, Beetle, Beetle's a great tenor part Mm -hmm. in the show. And that that ladies in their sensitivities, they only let him, they only let Timothy Spall sing a little bit of that number. Like one verse. Yeah. Excuse me, my lord, may I request my lord permission, my lord, to speak. Forgive me if I suggest, my lord, you're looking less than your best, my lord. There's powder upon your vest, my lord, and stubble upon your cheek. And ladies, my lord, are weak. And then, you know, we immediately go back to the shop, and Lovett's like, where's Pirelli gone to? He won't be coming back. (laughs) She's discovering what he's done to Pirelli, and not really condemning what he did outright. Oh, no, yeah, because he was blackmailing him. She immediately robs his corpse. She loots his body. Takes his takes his coin purse. Ha ha. <laughs> Stop. And then right after that, Turpin arrives for a shave. This is happening so fast. Yeah, I know. And this is going to lead us into pretty women. Oh, yeah. Todd's ready to go. Yeah. This is happening He now. has an erection. Like, Stop. He is ready to slit this man's throat. And, like, what's wild to me is that neither the Beatle nor the judge have any recollection of either him 
nor the surroundings. I get that the judge probably sent the beetle to the shop to get the baby all those years ago. Yeah, but remember how she was singing about he had come every day to give her a flower. And you don't remember this shop judge? Or this man's face? Like, it's... That's how little his life meant to him. Yeah, just evil man things. Because he did that. Of course, he wouldn't remember his face. Compartmentalizing and forgetting crimes against others. Guys, Alan Rickman sings. And it's good enough. All right. <laughs> like the only time, this is the only time I can think of Alan Rickman singing in anything. You see, sir, a man infatuated with love, her ardent and eager slave. So fetch the pomade and pumice stone and lend me a more seductive tone, a sprinkling perhaps of French cologne. But first, sir, I think a shave. The closest I ever gave. And you know what? It's not a duet that brings down the house, but it's nice and it gets the job done. Yeah, he's lathering him up and you're on the edge of your seat because... Johnny Depp lathers Alan Rickman up. Sounds like a dream you had. No. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) He's been chomping at the bit to end this man's life, but there's something in him that wants to savor the murder. Anthony ruins the slasher boner. Oh, yeah, because as soon as he's going to slit his throat, Anthony comes bounding through the door to say that Joanna will leave with him tonight. And Turpin immediately shuts the whole thing down. <laughs> there certainly is a higher power to warn me, like he says. He like... denounces both of them and promises Anthony that Joanna will basically never see the light of day again. And he's never coming here for a shave again. Yeah, and oh, guys, the way Todd is now metaphorically frothing at the mouth. This is epiphany. Oh, I had him. His throat was bare beneath my hand. There, there, dear, calm down. No, I had him. His throat was there and he'll never come again. Easy now. Hush, love, hush. I'll keep telling you. When? Why did I wait? You told me to wait. Now he'll never come again. Todd loses his shit and his mind. Easily Johnny Depp's favorite number, he said he did. Whatever semblance of sanity was left behind his eyes, I completely believe this is where it evaporates. This is definitely something very real, though. When complex traumas happen to human beings, it warps them. It's how you get more evil people. Yeah. This, quite literally, this loss of everything... And the anger that must be within him, that he becomes homicidal. They all deserve to die. They all deserve to die. Tell you why, Mrs. Lovitz, tell you why. Because in all of the whole human race, Mrs. Lovett, there are two kinds of men and only two. There's the one staying put in his proper place and the one with his foot in the other one's face. Look at me, Mrs. Lovett, look at you. That is the quote, epiphany, that everyone deserves to die. You either deserve to die because you're evil or you deserve to die because this world is a blight and we deserve the sweet release of death. When he puts Lovett in the chair and at first she's scared and then she's loving it. Oh, God! I just, I... When he goes to the streets and no one can hear him, oh, but yeah. he's there. The second half of this song is adapted very interestingly. Like, he's just running through the street with his razor, accosting people, but no one can see him. Because 
in this point in the show, he addresses the audience. Oh! When he does this oh, part. Oh, God! And, like, that's what's terrifying is the him walking around and no one acknowledging him, even though he screams singing in people's faces. Who's sir? You, sir? No one's in the chair. Come on, come on. Sweeney's waiting. I want you, bleeders. You, sir? Anybody? Gentlemen, I don't be shy. Not one man. No, no. Ten men, nor a hundred can I love the way this song comes to a huge dramatic conclusion, and Lovett's just staring at him. That's well, all very well and good, but what are we going to do about the body in the room with us? <laughs> and so they go downstairs to the pie shop. They find poor Toby passed out with that jug of gin in his arms. And <laughs> Todd says later on, we'll bury Pirelli. It'll be fine. This takes us into... A little priest. I love this song so much because, you know, like you said, he says we're just going to do away with the body. And then Mrs. Lovett is like, I guess so, but we could do a really unhinged thing. And it's like a little light bulb goes on over her head. Seems an awful waste. I mean, with the price of meat, what it is. When you get it, if you get it. Ah. Good, you got it. Hey, for instance, Mrs. Mooney had a pie shop. Business never better, using only pussy cats and toast. Now what pussy's good for maybe six or seven at the most. So, my brother in Christ, instead of buying expensive meat or disposing of your murder victims with risky burial, let's grind them up and put their remains into my meat pies. <laughs> I love this song because it's a favorite from the show and it's the kind of energy that this show is actually about. Because it's a black comedy. It's much longer in the stage version. There are a lot more verses, but... And it's, it, it is kind of muted in this. Like, you're not really getting the comedy that's coming through with all the demonstration. No, this is about as funny as this movie gets when it's funny through a lot of it in the stage show. Well, it does seem a waste. Oh, God. Ugh, they are enraptured with this idea and each other. What a perfect way for him to practice slitting men's throats for Turpin and for her to make some money. He thinks it's genius. These are desperate times, Mrs. Lovett. Choice, power What's the sound of the world out there? What, Mr. Todd, what, Mr. Todd, what is that sound? Those crunching noises pervading the air. Yes, Mr. Todd, yes, Mr. Todd, yes, all around. It's man devouring man. And like this is some of Sondheim's best work because not only is the tune super catchy, but this is where all the cannibalism puns start. Yeah, I know. They start commenting on the sort of person who may or may not be killed and put into a pie and making jokes about how their livelihoods will affect the flavor. Do you have a favorite verse? Because I bet we have the same one. Is it about the overdone actor? Yes! Yes, yes! No, the clergy is really too coarse and too merely. It's Ah, but always arrives overdone. I'll come again when you have judge on the menu. Sondheim is a genius. 
The horrifying thing is the way they are talking themselves into committing such depravity, like as though they are saving people from their wretched lives. That's the same ideology that some mass shooters use. Oh, shit. The knife and rolling pin coming out is another (laughs) classic image of the Todd story. That's like the OBC poster art. It is, yeah. Is that illustration. Oh, my God. Because they'll serve anyone. Meaning anyone. And to End of act one. What are we, an hour in? <laughs> hour and seven minutes. It's going to be an hour, 45 minute episode, probably. Oh, Lord in heaven. Okay, guys. So Turpin discovers Joanna readying to flee with Anthony. So he has her locked away in Bedlam in Mr. Fogg's asylum. That's so horrible. Just back in those days, if a woman in your life got too difficult... You could just put her in the asylum. Yeah, you could just have her committed. Any lawman would believe you. You're a man. Exactly. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God, Carrie. I know. We've also, back over at the pie shop, we've established a business model. People come to the barbershop for a shave. Todd kills his clientele. And then Lovett uses the remains as filling in the meat pies. Let's talk about the chair. Yeah, we see Todd making modifications to the barber chair. And so what happens is he can slit a throat. Press a little pedal, and the chair will extend and go backwards, like fall over backwards, and there's a little trap door behind it that the body can then slide through into his chute, slide all the way down to the cellar in the bakehouse. If the throat slitting doesn't kill you, the crack on your head will. No, Ross. When they hit the concrete at the bottom. The amount of skulls we see explode during the rest of this show. You know, you can get these at Ikea. But the contractor doesn't come included to reorganize the innards of your home. I'm sorry, are you talking about a barber chair? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) This takes us into that Joanna reprise, basically. They call it a reprise, but it's not a reprise. I have Joanna Quartet. It is called the Joanna Quartet because it's Todd and Anthony and the beggar woman and... You'd think there'd be one more person. Maybe there is in another version of it. I think so, yeah. And if you're beautiful, what then? With yellow hair like wheat I think we shall not meet again My little dove, my sweet Joanna gone and yet you're mine I'm fine Joanna Joanna like, they kind of jumped the song order here because this is not the song that opened yeah, back to. They have to reorganize some of the stage work. But, like, while they're singing this lovely little song, Anthony and Todd, about Joanna, the beggar woman is trying to warn the people of Fleet Street about the smell of burning bodies coming from Mrs. Lovett's meat pies. Because we don't know why yet, but the beggar woman been new about Lovett has always suspected her of being a crazy, evil person. And the way she is just like sniffing the air outside the pie shop. Sign of the devil. Sign, Sign of, of the, the devil. devil. City on fire. Witch, witch, smell it, sir, an evil smell. Every night at the Vespers Bell, smoke that comes from the mouth of hell. City on fire. City on fire. Mischief, mischief, mischief. Mrs. Lovett 
surprisingly begins a roaring trade with Toby's assistants. This leads us into God, that's good. Yeah, this is how Act 2 actually opens. We really like the taste of each other, I guess. Stop. That's the most disturbing part of the story (laughs) of the whole thing is the way everyone loves the pies now. And they're made of people. Mm. The meat in them is human meat. Mm. Like that is the most disturbing part. People can't buy enough of these pies. Toby's back on his old shit, except instead of peddling hair tonic, he's shilling for Mrs. Lovett, talking up the meat pies, and he's pleased as pie to do it, pun way intended. Um. <laughs> God, that's good. Knock on. There you sample Mrs. Lovett's meat pies, savory and sweet pies, as you'll see. You eat pies, Mrs. Lovett's meat pies, conjure up the treat pies used to be. Mrs. Lovett is cheery. Yeah, I know. It's disturbing how cheery she is. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, she's feeling herself. And, like, you, you and I have maybe mixed feelings about her energy here because, in my mind, she's extra happy because she's getting what she wanted with Todd, right? They're building a nice little enterprise and life together, but you think it's more singular than that. I mean, I think it's singular in this moment. Like the greed? Yeah, like... I think that I think that what you think is also very true. I just think in this moment it's taking a back seat. Yeah. Because she is very happy with the way things are going for her in particular. <laughs> I don't think she cares about how things are going for Todd, really. Okay. She's rolling her eyes every time he gets bloodlusty, even though she's into <laughs> it. Like she's like she's like, Oh, why we have to have all this doom and gloom and the murder. This is where we get the by the sea sequence, right? This is so weird. During a trip to the country, Lovett tells Todd that she would really like a life with him. And <laughs> He is not there. Oh, no. There is only one person at home upstairs in his head, and it's vengeance. Uh, And, like, we see her little dream unfold during the By the Sea sequence. This is so tonally strange, because not only is it basically a love song, but this is the most color in the movie. By the sea, Mr. Todd, that's a life I covet. By the sea, Mr. Todd, oh, I know you'd love it. You and me, Mr. T, we could be our in a house where we'd almost all down on the sea. Anything you say. Wouldn't that be smashing? This could never be his life. And that's the funny thing. It's funny to think that the character of Sweeney Todd is trapped in a musical number. <laughs> Sitting, staring dead ahead. Yeah. Anything you, you say. say. Yeah. <laughs> He's not present. When we get out of that, when she like brings him breakfast the next day, and she's like, Mr. T, we could have a life, us two. And I'm like, love it. You don't have to play so hard. Like, are you out of your little imperialist melon, Mrs. Lovett? I know. She really thinks that he's just going to casually forget about everything that ever happened to him, and they're going to go on to have a nice, tidy little life. When Anthony comes saying Joanna has been locked away by Turpin, uh, Todd has an immediate plan to get Joanna and Turpin. Where do you suppose all the wig makers of London go to obtain their hair? Bedlam. They get it from the lunatics of Bedlam. I don't understand. We shall set you up as a wig maker's apprentice. That will gain you access. And then you take her. Because a really horrific fact about 19th century London is that when wig makers needed hair for their wigs, you know where they would often go to get them? 
the asylum. Christ. Those people don't have rights, right? It's no. their hair, but we're just going to take it from them. He's like, we'll make you a master wig maker, and then you can get Joanna. And Todd sends Toby to Turpin at the Old Bailey with a message saying, hey, going to have your daughter with me here tonight because Anthony's going to try and steal her away. The Bailey is the seat of judicial stuff in London, isn't it? I knew you'd recognize the Old Bailey because you're a V for Vendetta fan. Yeah! yeah. They blow up the Old Bailey in V for Vendetta. I know, which, How, that's wow. sick. Uh, yeah. I love that. Like, <laughs> we need to do that movie. <laughs> And, you know, when Toby gets back, I know. Mrs. Lovett's got her feet up, and this leads us into not while I'm around. Because he's mommy's little boy, that's for sure. Yeah, no, he really likes the affection he perceives from Mrs. Lovett, even though it's just kind of, he basically has the same life he would in a workhouse. Yeah, I don't blame him. Like, when he worked in the workhouse, no one gave a shit about him, fed him alcohol to make him sleep, and, like... You know, just really a rotten quality of life. And then he considers it a treat to work for her. Like she's like, she is mother. Yeah, I know. It's it, Which is why I don't like it when they cast a man in this role. Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, no sir, not while I'm around. What do you mean, summer bed? Demons are prowling everywhere nowadays. I'll send them howling, I don't care, I got ways. Ed Sanders does a beautiful job, and they got him at just the right time, too. Yeah, they did. Like, he's 13. <laughs> do you feel like that last verse, you can kind of hear it maybe not working anymore? Like, this is the way it should be sung, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, and, like, he just he just does it so wonderfully. This child has actual body to his voice. Mm-hmm. And, like, once he's done telling her that he's not going to let anything happen to her while he's around to protect her... She tries to give him a shiny new penny to get him to shut up out of Pirelli's purse. And of course he recognizes the purse. That's in your Pirelli's purse. No, it's not. Just something Mr. T gave me for my birthday. That proves it. We gotta go, Mum. We gotta find the beetle and get the law here. Shh, shush, don't. Hush now, you won't go in anyway. You just sit here, nice and quiet, next to me. And, like, she now realizes that Toby will continue to be a problem. Yeah, she, like, sits him down trying to shush him, puts his head on her shoulder, mm-hmm. and starts singing right back to him. And HBC's eye acting in this last verse of the song is so good because you can see it behind her eyes. She knows they have to kill him now. She invites him to learn how the sausage is made. Oh, stop it! In order... To hasten his end. This is... Uh, like, when they, when she takes him down to the bakehouse, when they open that door, the oven itself is so ominous, standing alone in the middle of the cellar. It's almost coffin-shaped. Yeah, like, she says it smells so bad down here because of the sewer. <laughs> the rats went home to Jesus. And, like, she shows him how to grind the meat. In the stage version, she tells him to grind it three times. Oh, gross. To get maximum uh, juiciness and tenderness. 
And like, she locks him in there and she looks a little distraught, but she's still going to do what she's going to do. Does he not understand that he's been locked down there? I don't think so. Okay. We do see the sequence where Anthony goes into the asylum disguised as the wig maker to get Joanna. All the women are organized by hair color. And then he takes them into the cell with all the blondes and he sees Joanna and picks her. Now, where shall I cut? That's another word, Mr. Fogg, or it will be your last. Now, I leave you to the mercy of your children. Well, in the stage version, he does shoot Fogg. I like this better. In this version, he make he leaves Fogg in the cell for all of his air quote children to maul him to death. They tear his ass up. <laughs> Because in the stage version, the mayhem that ensues following the asylum bust, because they all get out. Yeah. Anthony lets them all break out, and that's what distracts the law away from the events of the night at Mrs. Lovett's Meat Pies. See, that is narratively significant, because there's so much shit about to go down. I know. At this meat pie shop. The Beatle appears at the shop to inquire about complaints he's received about the stench from Mrs. Lovett's chimney. <laughs> and uh, I'm about to... Ugh. And so Sweeney convinces him to have a shave before going to look at the bakehouse. And the beggar woman sees the Beatle disappear into the barber shop. I'll give you one guess as to who made that complaint. Uh... <laughs> Toby is downstairs eating a pie when he pulls a whole ass fingertip out of his mouth and then notices the pile of skeletons in the corner and then the organs and body parts in the meat grinder. The beetle's body comes through the chute and his head cracks open like a watermelon on that stone. Not cool, Tim. Not cool. It's the way Todd and Lovett pop downstairs immediately because they're like, oh shit, Toby's locked down in the cellar. It's finale time, guys. And they come down there and Toby's nowhere. And they have to go into the sewers to search for him. Toby, where are you? Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Toby! The way this evil woman is trying to coax him out of the shadows with her motherly singing. The way that they're going to kill him. (gasps) It's the way she locked him down there. And they both knew he was down there and chose to traumatize him anyway. Yeah. Before they kill him. It's a special kind of evil. And, like, we see Anthony bring Joanna, all disguised as a boy, up into the barber's shop. Yeah, they did end up chopping her hair. Like, he says, you're safe now. Safe. So we run away and then all our dreams come true. I hope so. Never had dreams, only nightmares. Joanna, when we're free of this place, all the ghosts will go away. No, Anthony, they never go away. He leaves her in that shop alone to go fetch a carriage. 
and she's wandering around, Ross. Oh, she inspects the room. She looks the room over. Ross, she picks up that framed photograph of her mother. She doesn't know it's her mother, but it's of her mother and her as a little baby. I know. And that's one of those extra Greek moments for me. She has no idea. She has no idea this is her home. This is where she was born. This is also a fabulous time for that nosy-ass beggar woman to come up to the shop looking for the beetle. And Joanna hides herself in the trunk the Pirelli was murdered in. She's like, okay, this is, I guess this is where I am now. Oh, I can't. Ross, this part fills me with dread. Because she turns around. And Todd appears. Who are you? What are you doing here? Evil it is her. The stink of evil from below, from her. Oh, she's the devil's wife. Beware her, sir. She with no pity in her heart. I don't I know you, mister. Mr. Todd. And Turpin is here, and he has no time. I have no time from the stage show. And he cuts her throat to get her out of the way. And drops her down the chute. Joanna's watching all of this happen through the crack in the lid to the trunk. Like, I just... God! Todd says to Turpin that Joanna is below and has seen the error of her ways. But first, how about a shave? Yeah, why don't we get you woman ready? Sit, sir. Sit. And this is where we get a little reprise of pretty women, right? Yeah. Todd is, this is happening now. We are not letting him get away again. How seldom it is one meets a fellow spirit. With fellow taste. In women, at least. Is that? Years, no doubt, have changed me, sir. But then I suppose the face of a barber, the face of a prisoner in the dark, is not particularly memorable. Gets his ass several times, and it's super upsetting. Oh no, because it's a Tim Burton. We gotta get Johnny covered in blood by the end. It's also not upsetting because he's a rapist, but like... Oh no, but the way the arterial red is spraying all over the windows, and all over Johnny, and all over everywhere. And then, you know, back he goes, down the chute. After after he gives him that one final slice in the throat. Oh, it's so much... He almost kills Joanna. Yeah, because she accidentally makes her presence known inside the trunk. And he's like, oh, hi, young man. How about a shave? Since you just saw me do that. And (laughs) right before he's going to cut her throat, he hears Lovett screaming in the bakehouse. Everyone needs a good shave. Well, the bodies are certainly piling up in the cellar. <laughs> the reason I love this, because it's in the stage show too, the reason she yells is because Turpin is clinging to life in the bakehouse. Not quite dead, yeah. Pulling on her skirts, trying to get her to help him. Die! Damn you, die! <laughs> <laughs> Why won't you die? I do wish they could have kept the line in from the show. 
because she's pulling the beggar woman off the pile. Could it be? Have all the demons in hell been sent to torment me? Oh, yeah, because... She recognizes this woman. Yeah. And the way Todd is bursting in downstairs, and she's hurriedly trying to get this woman over to the furnace. Yeah. She's like, no, nothing here, nothing here. Just another beggar woman. Uh, no redo. And he's like, go open the oven. She's like, no. And he's like, do what I say. And when she opens that oven wide, the light from the fire greatly enhances the beggar woman's face for Todd. Children, I need you all to sit down. Yes. This is... Stop cleaning your house. Stop driving to wherever you're going. Like, this is Greek narrative here that's about to unfold in front of us. Greek in nature, I should say. When he moves her hair aside and we realize it's Lucy. It's his wife, who is in fact not dead. She's been here this whole time. She's been alive in this narrative this whole time. Sometimes I'm not here. She's... You knew she lived. I was only thinking of you. You lied to me. No, no, not lied at all. No, I never lied. Said you took a poison, she did. Never said that she died. Poor thing. So Lucy did poison herself, just like Mrs. Lovett said, but it didn't kill her. She lived. It made her go mad. And she had to spend the rest of her life on the street doing sex work to survive. No, I never lied. Said it took a poison, she did. Never said that she died. What have I done? I'd be twice the wife she was. I love you. Oh my God, Carrie! She's like, what do you mean you'd be a better wife? I just... She's the woman he loved. This is what I'm saying. She is unhinged even more so at this point. I know. Does she really think he's gonna let this go? She must. She must, because he's already been divorcing himself from every other aspect of this emotion. And, like, guys... He fakes her out so good. It's so great, because remember, the furnace is still standing open. And they start dancing together? History of the world, my pet. Is learn forgiveness and try to forget. throws her whole body into the oven. One last twirl and throws her into the oven. Watching her burn is my least favorite part of the movie. It's my favorite. No. (laughs) I I feel like it's for the same reason. Because it's incredibly disturbing. Yeah. She deserved that horrific death. Not only watching her trying to get out of the oven, Mm. but then him slamming the door on her and watching her for a few seconds burn before he closes it entirely it's so great it makes my skin crawl it's so upsetting oh and the the skin is not done crawling when he goes over and puts lucy's body in his arms the white streak in his hair is stained entirely red it's so cool and unbeknownst to todd somebody has witnessed this entire thing dear toby has been hiding 
in the sewer grate this entire time. And he's already been big suspicious of him, knew he was going to be the reason that Mrs. Lovett fell to horrible circumstances. I do like how they do it in the stage version. When Toby reappears, he looks like a ghost. His hair's turned white. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And, but like, he does look fucked up when he crawls out of there, that little boy, that poor little boy. And he picks up Todd's razor that is sitting down next to him. It's the way he senses Toby behind him. Yeah. No one says anything, but he senses Toby behind him and he picks his head up. He exposes his throat. Toby slits Todd's throat with his own razor and he bleeds to death on his dead wife's face. And she was beautiful And she was virtuous And he was Toby just leaves. Where is he going? To start his new life as a creep. Like, they've traumatized another one. It's a cycle. It's all gonna start all over again. Ooh, new headcanon just dropped. Toby grows up to be Jack the Ripper. Oh, so, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. In about 40 years or so. Is he that could, really in he, the timeline? He could be Jack the Ripper. Holy shit. Yeah, I know, yeah. That's not cool. I know, I'm Keep sorry. Keep that kind of shit <laughs> to yourself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, uh, yes, the credits roll, but I do like that last Ballad of Sweeney Todd from the cast because, you know, the great ending lines are... Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. The dark and a hungry god. The dark and a hungry god. To seek revenge may lead to hell. But everyone does it, and seldom as well. As sweetie. As sweetie Todd. But in a number of feet. Street. Again, I know why we can't have the chorus for this film, but. It's just so important. The way they're basically knocking on the glass at the end of the show going, all right, what have we learned? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what have we learned? Let's not live our lives by the knife and by revenge. By the knife and by revenge. <laughs> it's just that's, that story is so much. I understand that Stephen stood on some shoulders here when it came to bringing this project to fruition. Oh, but the music. The music is the thing. The music is the thing. And like you said, that quote you read from him at the top, the music makes you feel the depth Mm -hmm. of the emotion in this story. Again, I hate to keep bringing it back to Greek tragedy, but... It's not just spooky. It's not just spooky. It's also narratively very good. Yeah. The way certain characters don't know of each other's true identity and literally miss each other like ships in the night. Or don't miss. Or don't miss. Sweetie! 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 (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like, and he ends up killing his family. He ends up killing the exact thing he came back here to reclaim. (gasps) Oh! And just watching that descent into madness, 
it's, I hate to say it this way, but it's fun every time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and then there's also some tunes, Mrs. Lovett. No, 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 Like, Stephen, that is a gift. Stephen, you made murder fun. <laughs> he did, did Sondheim, you? damn it, you made murder fun. <laughs> he did, did Oh, me. my God. Oh, Jesus. And plus, everybody loves the aesthetic of this film. <laughs> I say everybody. Uh, all the Tim Birdie tryhards, they definitely love it. Tim Birdie. <laughs> Tim Birdies? <gasps> Tim Birdies. We're starting a restaurant. <laughs> Tim Birdies? Tim Birdies. <laughs> and it's got, like, the raven from Poe's poem. We have a cocktail called Demon Barber. <laughs> it's got a lot of Bloody Mary in it. <laughs> I can't breathe. We shouldn't be laughing this hard. We've also got something called Nelly's Tonic. Oh, Lord! Uh, uh-huh. It's it's a gin-based cocktail, mm-hmm. for sure. We'll make, like, meat pies with some sort of strange meat. <laughs> strange meat? <laughs> but then we got to bring in other Tim Burton projects as well, so, like... Are, are we really going to open a Tim Burton-themed restaurant? Candied brides and, like... <laughs> You know, uh, uh, the, we can uh, sell big wedding cakes that look like the wedding cake from Corpse Bride. Instead and... of forks, you use scissors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, we've got a drink that looks like that sludge from Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yuck. I know. It's got a lot of lime in it. And grenadine. Yeah. All right. Do you have any other thoughts before we get out of here? Sondheim, why? Why'd you have to? Like, it's <laughs> so good. And like, yeah. I'm always going to love the stage version better, but I do love this movie. Mm-hmm. And the the hype of this movie has stayed with me ever since you couldn't shut the fuck up about it. You're welcome. And thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for it. Like, who knows what kind of creep I would have turned out to be if I wasn't a lover of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> right. Understanding the depth of Sweeney Todd from age 11. Do you have any more thoughts yourself? I do have one really fucked up thought. What's the fucked up thought? I'm hungry. Okay. <laughs> Ew. I didn't eat dinner. I could smash a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. Savory and sweet pies. True, sir. True or whatever. Oh, God. Oh, guys, spooky season's almost over. Uh, it is. Uh, but we're going to go out on the bangiest bang. <laughs> Please, no. One of the bangiest bangs that's ever banged. Stop. This movie smashes. Time out. <laughs> I can't breathe. For next week's bang, guys, <laughs> we're covering a spooky season classic. It's a staple. It is a staple. It's literally in the name. We're going to be covering... From 1979, John Carpenter's Halloween. He wrote the score! I know! He directed and wrote the score! I love me a multi-talented director. And I'm already yelling. And... (laughs) Yeah, guys, we're fudging the timeline a little bit for this, but... Probiotic scream queen Jamie Lee Curtis! (laughs) Yeah, we have to. On main feed, are you kidding? I know. She's already our queen. She's one of the original Scream Queens. And talk about a franchise that just won't quit. Hopefully it is dead now. I I think it is dead now. We will cover this Halloween movie and no others. (laughs) Maybe a few others. (laughs) Maybe.
maybe if you, I love how you reneged on that so quick. Well, there's like 20 <laughs> yeah. or something. I don't know. Look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. <laughs> that was good, bud. Sorry. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. Sorry. <laughs> that is with an N, not an ampersand. Are you going to do it again? Go ahead. <laughs> And don't forget to practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, Sweeney. <laughs> Drive our traffic up. <laughs> we need streams and not just screams this spooky season. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Mom. Mom.